Welcome, everybody, to the Fargo podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We are the officially unofficial podcast for FX's Fargo miniseries. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me this week is... I'm Eric. Yeah, you've you've heard Eric a few times because mm-hmm. he's been doing those uh, really awesome uh, residents. Uh, what did you call yourself, a Cohen file? I, you called me a Fargo file, and I wear that badge proudly. Far, a Fargo file. Yeah. So he's a resident Fargophile. Uh, Jim uh, actually got his Tylenol and his amphetamines mixed up again, <laughs> so he is he's indisposed this week. And Eric, uh, we 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 uh, raised the emergency podcast bell, and he answered. So glad to have you on. We actually planned on having you on a few times in the season, and you know we're on different coasts, so it's kind of hard to get things organized. And you've been providing the drops, which we've greatly appreciated. Uh, it's really good to get you on the cast, though, man. Hey, man, I'm so happy to be here. I'm actually really happy. You know, I might have, uh, I might have put a little Adderall in Jim's uh, acetaminophen. So, I'm trying to get on the cast. <laughs> well, he what also, he, he also said something about frogs in his apartment, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, that that's that's kind of over the top. Yeah. Well, I also uh, left a dead but... cow uh, in his living room, so I'm really going <laughs> full full bore with the plagues of Egypt here. Whatever it takes, get on the cast, man. Whatever it takes. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, th- this week we're talking about uh, the six ungraspables, mm-hmm. the uh, fifth episode of the Fargo miniseries. What did you think? Uh, your just general impressions. Were you digging it? Was it kind of a down episode for you? Where are you at with this? This is really interesting, dude, because I, um, you know, this is the fifth episode in the series, so we're halfway through the ten episodes uh, for the miniseries right. here. This could be the turning point, right. and in many ways it was the turning point, I felt like. But there was also a lot of, like, gimme plot points here um, that I didn't mm-hmm. love. That I, I think that this might be my least favorite episode so far. Um, wow. Um, that's amazing. Keep going. Yeah, elaborate. Well, I, I just felt like... Um, you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can understand the new chief. I don't know who Bob Odenkirk's character's name's, name is, but... Bill. Maggie walking in is Bill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Maggie walking into Bill's office and laying everything down for him. He should have known this stuff three episodes ago. Granted, but I feel like it's hard to do the dumb cop routine for four episodes and then all of a sudden the lights come on. But at the same time, I I could buy that. The part that I really didn't buy was Molly checking the washing machine when she broke into uh, Lester's right. house. But they, but all then right, they turn well, that on its head because I was like, oh, well, she's going to find the hammer, and then all of a sudden, uh, case blown wide open. But she didn't find the hammer, so there was a little bit of a bait and switch there. So I don't know. It's still a very strong episode. I still love this series. I just feel like this was uh-huh. a bit of a lull for me. Um, so right on. What did you think? Um, I loved it, and I actually thought this was one of the strongest episodes. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is, you know, it's always interesting when the two hosts uh, have a little fight about yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. Um, so this is one of some, some of the shows that we do. I feel like, you know, you watch the episode once or twice and I've got it. You know, I read some feedback and everything kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. Fargo is the type of show that I feel like I could talk about it for a week and I could read about it for a week. And I still feel like I'm not getting everything. Yeah. Like there's just some things that... You know, like the fish motif is something that has been really bugging me and turning over my mind at like how pervasive the fish are. Yeah. Um, and I, and even this week they snuck in a fish metaphor where uh, Numbers told uh, Lester that, uh, you know, if they keep torturing him, he'll swallow his tongue. And he basically, uh, I forget what he said, it will be gasping like a fish or will drown like something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, you'll choke on uh, your tongue and these... drown like a fish or something like that. Yeah, that's that's a malapropism, it sounds like. Mm. But it's like the fish are everywhere. They're everywhere. And there's some interesting theories about maybe they're harbingers of death, mm. uh, that everyone that's associated with the fish uh, ends up dead or is marked for death. Oh, no, Bill. Uh, which has interesting implications for Bill and Lester yeah. and, yeah, all, uh, whoever's putting in the uh, Asian fish porn uh, virus on the sheriff computers, he's a dead man for yep. sure. Um I but yeah, I really like it. Um, this also each week it's we've had a some sort of parable as the title, yes. and we get they're getting more and more esoteric. 
last week it was the one about the monk carrying the girl across the muddy road and then getting to his hotel and having a fight with another monk about whether he should have done that or not. Uh, this week is the six ungraspables. Have you have you heard of this uh, this Zen cone before? So I looked it up a little bit. Um, apparently, there are the five graspables, and those are your five right. senses plus your mind, I believe. Um, right. But, right. Uh, why, why don't you enlighten us about the ungraspables here? So a monk uh, once asked a, a master, "What is the Dharmakaya? which I looked up and I couldn't find a straight answer what the Dharmakaya is. But mm-hmm. one translation is the ultimate formless, timeless reality. So I envision it kind of like a nirvana, like an ultimate plane of existence, you know, what, what, what a monk would aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monk, uh, the master answered him, the six ungraspables. So, you know, five, gra- the six graspables being your five senses and your mind. Right. Uh, it, you know, it's like that's one of those answers where it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of interesting – we'll talk about it at the end of the episode, if I remember. Uh, there's there was an interesting theory about how this episode was heavy on the five senses and them being uh, misleading or useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one for each one. Like Molly smelled the baby, but she didn't really want to make of it. So she's like, yep, smells like a baby. Yeah. And Gus Gus tried to see less, or, uh, Lorne, but he was blinded by the high beams. Uh-huh. Uh, the, and I, I forget all the different. Like Molly tried to feel for the hammer, but she, she, she grasped nothing. And it, it's maybe that that's where... The episode's going. There was a taste and a hearing, too. Oh, the taste was Lester getting the dirty sock shoved down his mouth. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm uh, guessing. I fr- oh, I guess he probably didn't taste that because he was in so much pain. That's true. Yeah. It's like, which was worse, a dirty sock or the, the actual torture? Right. Uh, let's get right into the, Let's get to talking about the episode proper. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the Wes Anderson-esque opening, which I guess you could also say was kind of like a... Uh, oh brother, where art thou? Style opening. Yeah, I felt like this was the... Oh brother, where art thou? A hundred percent, all the way. Like the the right cornfield, and then the the playing of the bluegrass uh, version of uh, let's see, what's the name of the song? I wrote it down. It's the um, Wayward Flower. My poor Wayward Flower. It was it was in uh, mm-hmm. Walk the Line. June Carter sang that when she was at the Hollywood Bowl with uh, with Johnny Cash. Um, that's how I right. knew it, but, uh, but yeah, like right off the bat, I mean, I think, you know, brother art, that was a cornfield here. It's a wheat field, but like, I thought this was an overt reference to a brother art though. I'm like, okay, we're right here now in the Cohen brother world. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see, this is kind of the origin story of the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Lester went there to buy some, some socks. Uh, they had this kind of hilarious, uh, make your best offer. Uh, and the guy, he ends up paying what? $52 for a pair of socks and a shotgun. Um, the point of this basically is, I don't know if you heard last week's podcast, but we had the psychosomatic wound theory. Uh huh. Yeah. Psychosomatic wound theory murdered in his crib, less yeah. than seven days old. <laughs> Thrown out the window. By, it's great. I love how two theories, but, one was confirmed with the opening scene of the last podcast. This one was completely denied with the opening scene of this episode. <laughs> uh, like we right, had the, right. we have the snow scraper and we have the shotgun uh, recreation. We know exactly what's happening with the episode. It's, it's really kind of a genius thing to to lead you down these trails from a showrunner perspective and then next episode oh, yeah. immediately answer that question that was poised no no far go far giveth and far taketh away <laughs> exactly. and this time it took it it taketh away uh and the, the whole point of that is showing that yes he has a real wound that the shotgun pellet is went through the chief and embedded in his hand uh we then flash to the present where wrench and numbers uh are working him over to get uh Lauren's name out of them um, what do you? What's your opinion on the, all these flashbacks to show action from other uh, point of views from you know the far, kind of the Fargo history tying all this stuff together? Uh, what what's do you like that? Um, is it getting old for you? Where are you at on that? Well, I'm uh, so this was a good flashback. I felt like because it did reveal something to us. It revealed a, an answer to a question that we had about his hand. Um, right. and it also kind of leads to like the last scene in the episode. Like it was, it was a nice bookend in my opinion, but at, on the other hand, you know, flashbacks can be tedious at times. Um, and I don't, I don't watch this show live. I don't watch it on FX. I rent it through Amazon. So I don't get any kind of recap. Sure. Did they have a recap before the show this week? Yeah, they always, yeah, they do. They do. Okay. 
because I feel like these are kind of fan service or or new viewer service to people who are picking up on a show for the first season to kind of uh, understand everything that's going to go on in the episode if you haven't seen what previously has occurred. This one really worked because um, you're dealing with things that directly impact the episode. You know, the last scene where the doctor tells her that the shot's in his hand, it has fabric around it. Um, you needed to know that information to know the information at the end. I think that they're catering a little bit toward new fans, which is understandable with the new show. That's a so good I'm point. Okay I've never it. thought of it that way as like, hey, remember this happened if you don't have the previously ons. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a kind of a, a artsy way of doing that. So uh, I um, – and maybe that's why I kind of found – like I actually liked um, – I actually, uh, you know, it was a very cool shot seeing that uh, through his eyes and seeing how Lauren came in the door. But the thing with the socks, it was kind of twee in that Cohen Brothers way. But I <laughs> yeah. found it a little, a, a little, a little, a little tedious. Well, the weird tedious. thing about that is like, okay, so I see the opening scene. I'm like, okay, this is a brother where art thou 100% right here. And then we go mm-hmm. into the store. We realize that it's now fall because there's no snow on the ground. It's like fall or spring. Right. People are still wearing jackets. But there's no snow on the ground, so we're in a different time period. We go into the hardware. Do people store. ever? Do people ever take jackets off? Do people ever take jackets <laughs> off in Minnesota? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it gets I hot in the like, summer, right? I, I think there's a time. There's like two or three weeks in July they unzip their coats. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time they pretty much stay bundled up. I, that's my impression. But Lester's wearing his full outdoor gear here, so you got to assume that. Uh, it's, it's, I thought that it had fast forwarded. Honestly, I thought this was a fa- flash oh, forward. When I saw the cars and the snow on the and the snow off the ground, I thought we were moving forward in the story, not backward. Um, but that whole transaction at the counter with the mop topped uh, dude sitting behind the hardware guy, I was like, oh my god, this is like so. Um, this is so no country for old men right here. Like the ambiguous cashier. It's like the flip flop from that scene of Anton Chigurh at the gas station and, and uh, no country for old men. I was like, you know, right he on. can't give a straight answer. Uh, and he had, it was just kind of a weird, weird thing to me. So I'm like, okay, we're a brother. We're out there. We're no country for old men right off the bat here, but it's a very ambiguous right. scene though. Giving the shotgun to Lester. It's almost like uh fate stepping in and giving him this, uh, instrument that will have a huge impact on him later on down the road. Right on. And it was also, I thought there was a little shades of uh, early, early Mad Men, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, Pete, Pete's supposed to exchange the wedding gift for something. He ends up getting himself a rifle. <laughs> and, you know, with similar reactions from the, the uh, significant others. Yeah. Uh, you know, scoffing and outrage. Uh, so I thought that was a, you know, a nice little parallel. Yeah, but um, Pete hasn't used so, it yet, so that's that's also a good. <laughs> that's true. Spoiler that's alert: true. Pete, Pete's is still hasn't used the rifle. Pete's still yet. still very much. Pete's very much still a Chekhov's rifle. It hasn't been fired yet. Absolutely. Uh, Lester's in, in in bad shape throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts hallucinating, and I thought the hallucinations of him in the diner with Lauren were really well done, very menacing. Yeah. Um, almost almost demonic. Which I want to stick a pin in that word until we get to it a little bit later on. All right. Um, which Molly takes advantage of when she later is kind of doing a, what I assume is an illegal interrogation while he's kind of <laughs> looped up on pain medication and uh, kind of takes a flyer on this, asks him, Hey, did you pay to have Hess killed? He's like, No, I never paid him. Yeah. Or, I never paid. I, just, I uh, love that, so... I love that Ma- uh, Maggie has become the Jack Bauer of Bemidji here. Like this is as this is as rogue <laughs> as the Bemidji Police Department gets. She's gone. She's gone completely she, rogue in this episode. That's true. She's she's doing unauthorized interrogation. Mm-hmm. She's breaking and entering. Right. She's contaminating a crime scene. She can't be stopped. She is the Jack Bauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, let's talk about uh, Molly for a bit. Uh, we find we join her story. Oh God, I've been calling her Maggie this whole time, haven't I? It's Molly. I don't. I. Yeah, Molly. That's I, that, that's cool. I've, we'll roll with it. Because like Mar, it's Margie in Fargo, the TV show. So I, I'm like halfway between Molly and Margie. It's Maggie. It's I'm sorry. The difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Molly, I'm sorry. Uh, so Molly starts off the her part in the episode. She's folding clothes. She's watching a television program. It sounded like it was talking about big snakes and the Everglades, another predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, call back to the last episode. Yep. Um, she talks. You know, as you mentioned, she goes into Bill. She lays out. Everything 
that she's found out and kind of like overrides his mealy mouth objections and gets him to finally take a, a, a listen to what she has to say. Right. What she's thinking that it's, it's, you know, it's like, look, I've got these phone records connecting Lester to Lorne. Uh, he got his nose broke the same time that Lorne is in the hospital. This guy's got tokens to the lucky penny where the Hess was killed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's all adding up. Now, the only difference I've got is I feel like Bill, his demeanor wasn't so much finally waking up as it was he, – he, there's some kind of anxiety here about it. And I wasn't sure mm. if it's just anxiety that he's potentially missed a big case or if it's red meat for the theory that he somehow is involved in the cover-up. And we know Ooh. from later on the episode where Numbers and Wrench get Lauren's information. He gets the file that the, the Bemidji police have. There is a dirty cop on the, the Bemidji police department payroll. That's true. Uh, so I, so, I haven't heard this theory that that uh, that the Bemidji PD might be in on it. I haven't heard this theory, but that kind of blows my mind a little bit because there is a crooked cop that's helping them out um, and getting the file, the basically the same file that Molly had. So, um, so yeah, that, yeah, kind of a sobering thing here. Yeah, and it would it would definitely explain because I had the same problem. Like Bill is too stupid. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, and that's kind of what something I complained about two episodes ago. It's like it's it makes Lorne look less impressive when he's going <laughs> against people that are just fucking morons. Yeah. So if if he's if he's actually got uh, some connection to this, uh, you know, it, and it makes sense. Hess Trucking has got some kind of criminal, you know, we've been calling them the Dakota Mafia. Right. Uh, they they've got some connections, and it would make sense for them to have some police in their in their pocket. And there was also. You know, the police chief didn't really have any respect for Bill and maybe was suspicious of Bill. Yeah. Because uh, I know that he, he he wanted to tap Molly for the, the police chief if something ever happened to him. And now Bill's running things and seems inordinately obtuse about the Lester connection here. So I don't know. It's something to observe, I think, going forward. It's, it, it's a uh, very interesting thing, too, because, you know, the police chief tapping Molly to say you're the next chief, when the police chief is probably, like, I'm guessing 41 or maybe younger. Right. Like, that's kind right. of an early thing to be like, you're going to be the next police chief, because I'm guessing the uh, cop mortality rate in Bemidji is close to zero. Well, now it's at one, but... Um, See, I'm I'm retconning it that the Bemidji's like Sin City, yeah, exactly. where it's just like deeply corrupt, and and the police chief knows it, and he's like, I every day I get up, I put on my boots, and I think today's the day I'm going to die. So he, <laughs> he's like trying to he's trying to groom an incorruptible cop as quickly as he can before he gets he gets iced. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many things here because you know there there was the plot hole earlier of the dude at the Lucky Penny who gets thrown in the lake by Numbers and Wrench. Um, right, happened to match the same description, the same physical description as Lauren Malvo. Lauren Malvo, a known disguise, he's got like plus six disguise right now. Uh, if he can, yeah, if he can make his pastor, uh, you know, pastor disguise pull off so easily. Uh, maybe this, maybe his whole, uh, you know, gross bangs look is just to, just to match that dude in the lucky penny so that it throws people off the trail. Well, it's funny because I was talking to somebody, I can't remember if it was Facebook or email, but they we were talking about, you know, he was talking about my comments about Lorne being almost unbelievably lucky. And mm-hmm. he's like, he actually referenced your first drop for us where you talked about him being yep. the unstoppable evil yep. or the agent of chaos, mm-hmm. which, which basically that's a Coen Brothers device. And they kind of intentionally break the rules of logic because that's the point. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, what what's that, the guy in the insurance commercial? Where he's always like, uh, you know, he, he's dropping from, you know, he's a dude in a suit and he's <laughs> yeah. like, does it, and he drops on people's windshield and busts them up. It's like, he's that guy. You can't predict it. You can't stop it. It just, it just shit happens. Exactly. He also plays the same character on 30 Rock. There you go. He's a little one dimensional. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> yeah. Um, so oh, the other thing I got a question with Molly's storyline here. Uh, we know the chief's wife gives birth to a baby daughter. Um, and she visits her and has kind of a lengthy discussion with her. What is the where? What did you think the point of that scene was, other than to, to to throw in the fifth sense, the sense of smell when she smelled the baby? If we're going with the six ungraspables, I mean, I don't think that Molly needs any more motivation than she already has. She's kind of uh, the Batman of Bemidji. She's just out for justice. 
Right. And I'm okay with that. Right. Um, sure. Th- this is another. This is another point that kind of fell flat for me. Is that it's revealed in this episode. The doctor basically reveals that Lester's been in three times in a week. This whole thing's happened over a week, and I've always thought right. that the chief's wife is handling this murder of her husband so well. Like, even at his own funeral, she's very well composed. And in this scene, she is as well. I don't know if this is an embodiment of the Minnesota Nice, but it's like she is hiding her emotions really, really well. And at this scene, you see a little bit of a peak of her saying, I don't care what you're, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but I don't care what you're doing as long as you catch him. Like, she, she wants the justice too. I was wondering the same thing that I don't know if it's Minnesota nice or it's like the mother's nesting instinct mm-hmm. where she's just kind of turned into a she bear and like, look, I got to keep it together and maybe we'll see her fall apart um, later on or whether she's really just an emotional MacGuffin to give Molly extra impetus to solve the case. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but I've had the same kind of thoughts like, man, this girl is is is, is really put together uh, <laughs> about the death of her husband this late into uh her maternity you know and there's there's a lot more pathos to be mined there i I would be beside myself if i were her i couldn't imagine first of all i'd be pregnant and i'm a man i don't the memorial service happened uh lester (laughs) like everything's it's all one week it's like this is an this is an insane week if all of this happened like the blood in the shower the crickets all of this stuff is happening in one week it's crazy um, uh, another que- another question I had after this visit, she goes to check in on Lester, mm-hmm. uh, who appears to be sleeping next to that window was not open, correct? Uh, I it, I didn't I don't know. Okay, because it looked it looked so clear a shot into the night that I thought it might be open, and I'm like that's kind of weird. Uh-huh. Um, but it's in the middle of the Minnesota winter. I figure feel like he would just freeze to death, like the one guy in in the the season premiere did. Yeah, and you know um, a little bit about. Have you ever been to Minnesota in the winter? Uh, no, I have not. I've been I've been in northern Michigan skiing, but I've never been in Miss Minnesota. <laughs> I went to Minnesota in October. Okay, October is not the winter. I went there like late right. October. It was the most insane uh-huh. cold I have ever encountered in my life. Like I, the, the <laughs> you couldn't walk outside already. Like downtown Minnesota, you know, has the walkways instead of the crosswalks between buildings, and they have little bridges, right? Right. Little sky bridges, right? I went outside for like 12 minutes at one o'clock in the afternoon and could not bear the cold with like two jackets on. It's insanely cold in Minnesota. (laughs) Uh, Just saying. (laughs) That's an anecdote. All right. So just as a a super clean window. Yeah. um, What I thought was interesting about this is that Molly is looking at him. He has no way of knowing who that is. Mm -hmm. But it feels like with the, uh, you know, that everything's kind of closing in on him. He kind of knows that in some way the jig is up. There's some menacing music playing. There's also this kind of ominous heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Was I just a week too soon in discussing the psychosomatic wound? Because now we got the heartbeat. That's like really hearkening to the telltale heart. (laughs) It does. Um, is he going to, even though this thing's been dug out of his skin, I wonder if there's still going to be something where he's scratching at it or it's it's continued to be a festering wound in his mind because he looks like he's going full-blown. These hallucinations and this experience he's had with, with being tortured and the wound being infected uh, might have uh, unhinged him. I I'm with you there. I mean, Lesser is not a guy who I would, uh, who I would describe as strong of mind. Um, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. this is a dude who literally had an insane uh, series of events happen to him in 24 hours. It's alters, altered his entire life. And I love the Edgar right. Allan Poe reference here. Um, and, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. I think that there are so many so many things that point to, toward a telltale heart scenario here that um, I – I mean, come on. Uh, when you look at uh, – what was his name? Jerry Norgard? In in Fargo, the sure, original sure. series, it didn't. What yep. was his name? Was it Jerry? Nygaard? Jerry Nygaard. Oh no, no, Jerry Lundegaard. Jerry Lundegaard. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in the original Fargo, things did not end well for him. I mean, and I don't expect no. things to end well for Lester here. I don't think he's gonna. He's not gonna Walter Way his way out of this situation. Uh, he right. so things are gonna end badly for for Lester here, and um, and I think that the number one thing that's going to give him away is his guilt. He's got he's got he's got a complete ineptitude at at social interaction and uh, defense 
but he's also got this overwhelming guilt from being just a normal dude with a family in a house who got who has now been pushed through this tumble cycle and uh, it's i mean it's it's going to blow anybody away anybody's mental state would be rattled by uh, by what lester's gone through no totally i totally believe that yeah. um let's let's talk about lamali's uh batmaning it up her jack bauer escapade mm-hmm. into lester's house mm-hmm. uh she goes down she notices the uh, washer or dryer is out of whack and she takes off the rear panel yeah thought a little bit of this is a little tidy what did I miss something? Because I didn't have time to review the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Did Lester move that hammer? Uh, not on or screen. Or do we not? D- so this is another so thing. So we this, don't This know. goes along with what you're talking about with the show don't tell. Um, there, there are two instances mm-hmm. of that in this series. First of all, I don't think that the hammer is in there. Um, even though we okay. saw Lester put it in there. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe she just missed it. Um, but that's a show-don't-tell moment of Lester moving the hammer. The other show-don't-tell is Lester finding out what Lauren Malvo's name is. I don't think that's ever been revealed uh, prior in the series, but for some reason he knows Lauren Malvo's name. Um, so I'd kind of like to see these happen. I saw on Reddit that, that he had his name written down on a pad of paper. Hmm. Now, I didn't actually see it, but that's what people were saying, and so... Uh, I didn't hit that either, and I'm kind of taking their word for it. Let me let me bounce something off you. Mm-hmm. What if Molly did, in fact, either feel or see the hammer way back there, but then at the last minute thought, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to further contaminate this crime scene. And and also, if I, if, if, if I grab this now, this is probably not going to be admissible to support because I've got no search warrant. I'm right. here illegally. Mm-hmm. What if she is really going full Jack Bauer? She saw the murder weapon. She felt it. She's backing away. She's going to now get, with all this evidence she presented to Bill, she's going to get a search warrant to go back and then find the bloody hammer. Do you think that's a possibility? I can get with that. I can. I could totally get with that. Because, like you said, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want all this stuff to happen off screen. I want to know what's happening. I don't want to feel like a smart person. I want to feel like a dumb person when yes. I watch a TV show. I want to be like, oh my god, yes. why didn't I see that happening? Um, but, well, but for I, that to happen, I, everything I has like to happen feeling... in front of you. Yeah, I feel I like feeling like a smart person, but I hate to like usual uh, usual suspects where mm-hmm. they basically lie to you, mm-hmm. the viewer. It's like you know, it's really easy to make a twist when you're just bullshitting people <laughs> and presenting them with false information. And I get unreliable narrators and all that stuff, but I like to be shown again. I like it to be sleight of hand. I don't like to be just outright fabrication. Exactly. So I can buy that. It's a little little unbelievable that she just goes about her day. Uh, you know, but maybe that's the significance of her checking in on Lester and kind of being ominous with that. Um, so who called, uh, who talk... called in? Oh, go ahead. Who called Grimsley at the end of the episode? Did Grimsley call Molly, or did Molly call Grimsley? I wow, you kind of caught me off guard there. My recollection of it is that the we kind of joined the conversation in the middle. So yeah, I, I don't just, really know. I think that she, I think that she called him, and she called him from Lester's basement. Which means that she, if if your hypothesis real? is correct, yeah, she was in the basement when she called him. Like I feel like if your hypothesis is correct, she felt the hammer and then called Grimsley and told him to come over tomorrow and let's talk about, or she's coming to Duluth and let's talk about the case. Maybe she wants to get that evidence, physical evidence, so she can go back and 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 do the search that, uh, for the weapon she already is there. I feel like if that's correct, then we'll see it next episode. Yeah. And I also think that this theory could die a quick death because I also think it's about a 50-50 chance that we will open, will cold open on Lester doing something different with the murder weapon. Yeah, that's a we'll good We'll have another flashback. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good call. But that's also a reason why, that's also a reason why maybe uh, Molly just went to give a last check to Lester at the end of the night to see that he's still in the hospital because if he's in the hospital, then they have the opportunity to get a warrant and go into his house a little easier. I, maybe not. I, maybe, I guess if you have a warrant, you can go into anybody's house. But um, Right on. But it seemed like maybe that was why she checked on Lester to just make sure he was still uh, out so that she could uh, continue her Jack Bauer ways, her Bemidji Bauer ways. Right, right on. Bemidji Bauer. Let's talk about Lauren. He has another really colorful interaction with the. Uh, I'm going to call him the contraband van guy. I just call him the, the contraband tank. guy. I, he's he's the mitzvah tank to me. No, no, I'm oh, not talking oh, about the. the contra- I'm not talking. Oh, yeah. 
Contraband. Yeah. Guy. I got it. The Contraband. I got it. I'm sorry. I thought too many vans yeah. in this series. <laughs> That's true. You got the Mitzvah tank and the Contraband. Yeah. The Contraband stock, not just with drugs. Uh, yeah. Not just the zombie survival kits. It's got any black slash gray market stuff you need, except for police scanners and CB radios. You can go down and pay cash for at Radio Shack. This is the problem. This, last- this is another thing that fell flat for me in this episode. Was that okay? So he's got a full fucking pharmacy at the trunk of the van, uh, but mm-hmm. in the middle of the van, he basically has a Radio Shack. Like. <laughs> Right. Who who has a black market Radio Shack in the middle of their van? If you're if you got a full pharmacy in the back, it just doesn't make much sense to me to have that Radio Shack. He's got helicopters for Christ's sake. <laughs> See, I wonder if he's like uh, who, whatever fixing company that Lauren works for. Mm. You know that they got the shadowy. I wonder if he's their version of Q. Like you know, oh, yeah. James Bond's got Q, yeah. where it's like he's in the middle of a mission. Guy shows up with a weapons van, and here's what you need. He's like, because the other thing is, like, how in the hell would you find that guy? Yeah, that's he's true. not in the yellow pages. He's not online. I I wonder if he's like, there's like several of these guys. They're just like, you know, random black market merchants for these shadowy band of assassins slash cleaner guys that run around the state to state, getting in all kinds of morally ambiguous misadventures. Like it, love it, want more of it. I love your theory here. <laughs> I'm full of it, man. Any any Q um, theory so, is 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 okay with me. Q's easily my favorite character in the James Bond franchise, and this makes oh, it, this he's this the, makes he's, it very intriguing to me. He's the nerd that makes the jock work. How can you not lo- love him? Desmond Lulin, rest in peace. Uh, I do love I do love spray tan is what's my name for uh, the the Bemidji Dennis yeah. or the Duluth Dennis. I call him. I call um, him that he, as well. I call him spray tan. That's all my notes. Spray tan. I don't even know his. Really all right. Name. I like how Lauren just blows into his house, browses his phone, records another conversation with yeah. King, where King is ready to capitulate. He doesn't need all ten pl- plagues. Right. Two is plenty. Uh, he's going to meet him an hour with the money. Uh, he asks him if there's a door that locks in his house. He promptly <laughs> throws him into the butler pantry and then screws him in. <laughs> there was. He's literally some, screwed some, here. He is. He's definitely screwed. Uh, it's a, it's a poopy situation for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it's interesting that uh, some people had the question of like, did this in in effect secure the door? Because people are like, well, if you just drill him straight in, you're not hitting anything. But it looked to me like he was putting him in at a forty five yeah. degree angle, he was screwing at an which angle. would put those screws. Yeah, it, and it put him right into the the frame of the door. Now, you know, residential kitchen pantry door yeah i'm pretty sure a, a stout person could batter down pretty easily yeah whether spray screws. tan will think of that well yeah, he yeah, is, yeah. he's an um, athlete i mean spray tan is an athlete right i mean he is the the, the personal trainer extraordinaire for bemidji or for duluth uh but and also those interior pantry doors are mostly hollow i feel like screwing it right. into the wall might even weaken it to the point where you could kick it open and you're talking about a you're talking about a door lock here you're not talking about a deadbolt so he could he could get his way yeah. up, but I like the oh poop at the end because I feel like that's him giving up. It's also the second time that he has been put in a pantry slash closet uh, by Lauren. That's Malvo. true. That's true. This time was a solo pantry engagement. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's possible that Lauren will either forget about this guy or be detained and he will actually die? And then we'll come back and he'll just be dead in the pantry. I just feel like if you're gonna lock somebody somewhere and you want them to die, don't lock them in a pantry full of food and probably some bottled water. He's a health. That's nut. true. That's true. And he could poop in the corner. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 little hotel Hanoi, but you know, I'm sure he'll make it. Yeah, he'll make it. I don't think this is the last you, we've seen his breakout. Did you think it was a little extreme? Because it's not like Lauren ever had a problem finding this guy, no matter where he was on God's green earth. Well, this like, yeah, this guy and, has, and he had no reason to skip town because yeah. he was anticipating getting a cut of that money. So, you know, screw him in the closet seems a little extreme. Absolutely, like he. Oh man, I just gymmed it up here with my absolutely response. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I do this to people. I, know. I bring the absolutely. Out. I'm with you, man. Absolutely. Uh, I, I felt like this guy wants his forty three thousand dollars. You give that to him, and he, maybe give him sixty grand, and God, he'll be over the moon. Oh yeah, with he's five inch marble. Like he'll be. Oh yeah, he's he, he'll be excited about that, and he'll he, keep his mouth shut. Yeah, he's he's wanting to upgrade. He's he's got his. I think he's got at least a sixty thousand dollar bathhouse going now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so we had Lorne uh, trying to to really put the king over the top with some more religious talk. We talked about uh, you know Romans and how Rome Rome was founded by wolves. Uh, it, we we talked about a hundred and ten pound Rottweiler raping a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no no saints in the animal kingdom. What that was some creepy, creepy shit. What do you make of what we're supposed to think? Is this just more predator prey talk? Is this you know more uh, you know we're gorillas and and we've forgotten it? What or or is there something deeper here we're supposed to realize? Well, Aaron, I actually think I need to go get Tommy John surgery right now for patting myself on the back so much about this fucking <laughs> dog theory. I mean, come on, guys. Uh-huh. Lauren Malvo is the fucking dog here. <laughs> Like he, right. I, 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 I don't chalk it up to anything more than this is Lauren's doggy dog world. He needs his breakfast and he needs his dinner. He is a predator. He is a dog. He's a wolf. That's Lauren Malvo. Um, so it's interesting here. The, uh, the cutoff, I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with Stavros after, uh, Lauren is presumably out of his life. I mean, he's pr- pretty much cut him off at this point. He could spend the night, but he can't do anything else. Um, it's interesting, like this predator prey. We need this is this is Lauren Malvo. We need our lunch, or we need our breakfast, and we need our dinner. Um, what does mm-hmm. that mean for Lauren? I mean, Lauren continues to be the most interesting character on this show, and he keeps bringing me back in when I think that he's not uh, when he's when he's waning a little bit. But uh, the, yeah, the right. Lauren Malvo character, the unstoppable evil force, the Coen Brothers esque dude. Um, he, he he lives without fear, and I really think that there's going to be something behind the scenes here that Lauren uh, that will be revealed about Lauren that will make his whole quest seem uh, relevant. Um, and I, I think okay. this is a whole arc here. I, this is his predator thing. He needs his breakfast and he needs his dinner. What does that mean? That's his sustenance. Is it his money? Is it? Uh, I don't know if it's revenge. I don't know. Like I, the theories. Uh, you know, it could be about anything. I don't know if you have anything to to say in in regards to this. Uh, you know, I've been trying to avoid the too much looking forward spec spoiler speculation just because mm. I'm enjoying the show. I will say that, uh, and I almost did this, but I don't think we'll have time uh to talk into it tonight. But if you look, and plus we'd have to do an official spoiler spe- section, and this is supposed to be a half ass cast, but it's 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 getting it's at least three quarters ass. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 threatening to be a full ass cast because we're just loving it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might grow and have its own spoiler section. But if you look, I will say that people want to spoil themselves. If you look ahead at the episode titles and you look at the you know because they're all parables, they're all cones, right? And you look at a towards the end of the season, there there's one that seems to cry out for a piece of the lo- the Lorne puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe maybe we can talk about that on the next cast. We'll actually gin up a spoiler section or something. But uh, so yeah, I don't. I I I will. Uh, something I want to ask you about because the very next scene, it's actually the same scene. Uh, you know, we see that uh, Gus and and Lauren kind of pass initially as two ships in the night, yeah. and then on the way back, uh, Lauren sees him in his headlights. Very similar to the opening scene where he runs over the deer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, he's literally a deer in the headlights news. here, or figuratively. He's, he's literally deer to headlights. Yeah. And I thought for a moment that Lorne was just going to floor it and hit him. Mm-hmm. But but I still feel like this parable to this parallel to the deer, where Lorne kills the deer and you know comes out and looks at it and sees it dying, but doesn't really feel much one way or another. Uh, I feel like this is bad news for for Gus. I hope I hope there's not too many Gus fans because it doesn't. And there's another piece of evidence that I want to talk about at the end. Things look, I think, pretty bad, pretty grim. You would say for Officer Grimley. Yeah, I mean, you, th- are you feeling me on that? There's something here that's that's been a a a hanging chad, if you will, from the 2000 election, um, of <laughs> uh, around this whole deer scene at the beginning of the series. We see. Lauren Malvo um, hit a deer, go off the road, walk out of the snow, see the deer suffering. The deer dies in front of him. The next day, Molly and the chief go out. Is it Molly and the chief, or is it Molly and Bill? They, anyway, they go out. That's to, Molly and Chief. Yeah, they they go out to investigate the crash. There are two dead deer here. There's a dead deer in the trunk, and there's a dead deer buried in the snow. We only saw mm-hmm. Lauren. 
uh, hit one deer. And this has always been something that's been hanging in my craw uh, since it Wait, happened. Wait, are you are are you serious? I did not know that I did not know there was two deer. It seemed like there were two deer in the first episode. There was one buried in the snow, and there was one in the trunk. And he only hit one deer, from what I can yeah, tell. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. I'm 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 uh that's super exciting i'm just hesitant to commit so you're yeah. saying that the the molly and the chief found two deer i'm yeah i believe so because there's a scene where uh they go over they swipe the snow away and they say well there's your deer and then uh-huh. they open the trunk and there's another deer in the trunk wow okay um which is interesting to me when what you does talk that about, mean well when you talk about gus here as the deer in the headlights um he could be an accidental um, death, and really he is the accidental guy here. Or maybe the mitzvah tank uh-huh. is the accidental guy here because he involved himself in the situation when he you know, didn't really need to. Um, sure, sure. But the, maybe there's an accidental deer and then there's a deliberate deer that are going to be coming up uh, at the hands of Lauren Malvo. This is all speculation, but... Uh, that's that's been something sure, sure. that's been sticking in my craw. I know that you are on the on, you're on the rust belt. You can you know these sayings. <laughs> it's not hanging in my craw. It's sticking in my craw. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, always, always been, it's, it's always been something that's in the back of my mind since the first episode. Like where did that other deer come from? I think that deer was asking too many questions. Yeah, maybe found himself in the, it found himself in the trunk. Yeah. Um. So let me uh let's uh. Talk, let's move on to Gus. Okay. He's the last character we've got to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he checks into Lauren Peterson's cover story. He finds it a bit thin. I found some of it hilariously photoshopped, uh, but whatever. It's, too, it's, it's <laughs> I do 2006. love the alibi here, but let's let's be straight here, people. Uh, when uh-huh. you have a especially Lutheran congregation in a city, and I ran this by a couple of my uh, Lutheran uh, Minnesota friends who are on my softball team. Um, uh-huh. You have a Lutheran congregation in the middle of Minnesota. They have a church directory. They take a church directory every couple of years. It's a professional photographer comes in, takes a picture of everybody in the church, and you put it together at a compilation mm-hmm. so that you can have a picture of everybody. This also sure. happens in Presbyterian congregations in Bramberton, Washington, because it happened to me when right. I was a kid. So this church right. definitely has a church directory. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a journey to this church at some point, but uh, but Lauren Malvo taking advantage of the lack of technological aptitude in 2006 of rural Lutheran churches in Minnesota um, to create his own sure. website here. <laughs> I just See, found that I, really I was, interesting. I was, guessing, I was guessing that the whole church was fictitious. That's a, that's a possibility. I don't know. Like, who did they call? Like, the, the fact that they called the church and it rerouted, I think that goes along with your and Jim's theory that – this is all a huge cover from the uh, Desert Hitman Society, that <laughs> the, 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 right. the Gross Point Blank Society that that's somewhere in, in right. rural New Mexico or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, they also have a branch that works out of a vacuum sweeper repair office. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all these universes are connected. All these universes are connected, man. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but... Uh, so so he he finds it a bit thin. It's it's costing him some sleep. Uh, he's looking over at the neighbor, and he uh, at in the middle of the night, he's drinking a warm glass of milk. He he sees the neighbor awake. Uh, neighbor comes over and chats. He's the he's the tank mitzvah guy. Yep. Apparently, uh, with the hot wife that was flirting with Gus. Haven't seen the hot wife. Yeah. But uh, apparently, she talks out loud in her sleep. So that's 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 a problem. <laughs> Well, that's what keeps him up, so he could do the neighborhood watch. Apparently, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it frees him up. Yeah, all, all his wife driving him out freezes time to be a, a busybody in everyone's affairs. Exactly. Uh, he gives he gives this. Uh, he's got this weird way of complaining about things without complaining. That's kind of like uh, you know a a Jewish superpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks about how all the things in life are gifts, the cold and holes in your socks. And he tells about the parable of the rich man. Which reminded me a lot of the Will Smith Seven Pounds movie. This yeah. guy who gives away all his money, donates his kidney, uh, goes ahead and kills himself and donates all his organs. I thought, uh, just just from a film craft, it's very striking the patience this show has. That they can slow down and take three or four minutes to tell a complete a story that's completely unrelated to the main characters and plot and fully illustrate it. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I thought with, that that was like, really interesting too that they that they decided to to film the whole parable as like as it happened. Um, yeah, it's like we've got a B we got a B unit that don't have anything to do today. Have them go with a couple extras and and do this thing. Yeah. Uh but it it was it was really effective and absorbing. Uh with and and the guy asked at the end he's like, you know, did he kill himself for nothing? Yeah. Um, and we kind of we don't really have an answer to that. And only a fool thinks you can solve the world's problems. But as Gus says, you got to try. Right. And there's two ways to look at that parable. There's the one where, you know, only fool thinks he can solve the world's problems, but also only a, a heartless bastard would not, you know, still get in there and try. But where's where do you draw the line? Um, and I think that's something Gus is wrestling with. Well, I'm going to get a little personal here, Aaron. Are you okay with that? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So my theory here is that I I think this goes along and this, this is the question that at least, at least gave me after the uh, mitzvah tank gave this parable. Also the first time that an actual parable, I think has been told in the series while every title is a parable, but my idea here is that, you know, the book of revelation in, in the Bible, um, outlines the end of the world, right? Right. The fact of the matter is, is that the end of the world is coming for each and every person because the world is how you perceive the world. It is the knowables, if you will, if you want to attach it to the title of this episode. So, like, Mm -hmm. you're going to be going through your life and at some point your world ends. Like, that's Armageddon for you because the world is over. Right on. Uh, And so the question here uh, that lies with with uh with the mitzvah tank and with gus is that is your world more important than the bad stuff that's happening in the world and the and the question that arose with this parable was that is lauren malvo really a blight on the world is he worth giving up your world your daughter as a single dad is he worth giving all this stuff up for is he actually going to is is catching lauren malvo actually going to make the world a better place and i would say marginally it would but for the most part it doesn't really matter lauren malvo is not something he's not uh he's not a plague on on humanity he's not global warming he's not uh he's not a war he's not terrorism like he's not the things that are going to bring down the world he's not uh you know uh, everything that 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 is the malady of of humanity so is bringing down this one guy worth ending your is worth bringing Armageddon to your entire world is, is is he worth ending your entire world? That's the message that I got. But then later on, Mitzvah Tank decides that maybe he is. Maybe knocking on his window is worth risking your entire world uh, to do to to make your society a little better. It was an interesting parable to me. How did you interpret that parable? Uh that's a really strong take. Um, hmm. Uh, I I just thought it was a, a way to basically say, you know, I think both things are true, which is kind of very Zen Conish, uh, you know, uh, and it's 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 answer. It's asking. It's basically a way to answer a question, which is, you know, is it worth doing this? Is it worth risking my life with a a, a question that doesn't really answer the question, but it helps focal it helps focus the hearer on what is important to them, what's true to them, because it yeah. is, it's all shades of gray. And right. you're right. If you really think about Lauren's victims, all of these victims so far have been evil characters themselves. Uh, right. You know, if you argue about Hess, but I think he's a shit bag and he's probably yep. got blood on his hands anyway. Uh, yep. You know, he, 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 Lester killed his own wife, but Lester did that himself. he, He's the agent of chaos that, you know, kind of brought these feelings to a head. But this is something Lester had in, in him the, his whole life as a consequence of the way he lived it and the way he, he chose to, to go uh, about living his life in his world. You're yeah. right. You know, Lorne would have been in and out of Gus's life already had he just stayed asleep, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, not, and, he does, and, not, and he doesn't not take woke that- up and gotten out of bed. Yeah, and he doesn't take that – he doesn't take that extra step with those – white knights who are in this story. He doesn't take it with uh, Tank Mitzvah, even though he could have put a bullet between his eyes and drove away and nobody would have known the difference. He, he doesn't take it with Gus when he pulls him over. Um, mm-hmm. And he doesn't take it. He doesn't, you know, he is following Gus. I don't think things are going to end well for Gus, but, um, but he only kills. It just, it just makes that first killing, that first murder of Hess 
so much more interesting because like what is this about because he has encountered so many people who could lead to his own personal demise and he lets them pass by but this random dude who punched an insurance agent in the face he deserves a knife in the back of the neck it's kind of interesting. yeah i mean there's a little angel of death parallel there too where he's Mm -hmm. basically passing all these people by and and the choices they make whether to spatter blood over their uh, you know, door doorpost, <laughs> yeah, uh, and let him pass by, or whether to not do that and risk his wrath. Um, and it's all you know. The postal worker could have followed his procedures, and maybe Lorna had to kill him. Gus right. could have tried to arrest him. Maybe he would have died. But if not, if you just let the angel pass, mm. he's going to go, and 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 the lightning bolt's going to hit somebody else. And who's right. to say that they don't deserve it? Even Stravos or Starvos, mm-hmm. uh, the grocery king. You know, he found the money, which is all well and good, but it seems like the money has turned him into more or less a terrible human being. He's he's divorced yeah. his wife. He's trying to screw her out of money, um, you know, and Lauren has killed his dog, and he's tormenting him psychologically, but it's not like he's going to kill the guy. And yeah. ar- it's arguable that there's some kind of karmic balance of him taking that money that he didn't get, and he's, uh, you know, he hasn't kept his promise, and he's somehow squandered that gift. There's a lot of biblical parallels I could go in here, and I think it's really interesting because I'm about to get to to another interesting point. Uh, mm-hmm. Gus can't sleep. There's a No Country for Old Men uh, a callback where I don't know if you noticed that scene where he's lying and the slats from his window are uh, uh, going over his face. Oh, jeez. Just it's it's a scene for scene sh- remake of these scene in No Country for Old Men where Lewin is laying in bed and he's thinking about that uh, Mexican cartel guy that he left in the desert without water and he decides to go back with some water to to water him. That <laughs> yeah. decision is what ultimately led to his demise. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to work out the same for, for Gus there. Um, anyway, he gets up. Uh, he, he's he's on the phone with Molly. My note said that he calls Molly, so I wonder if uh, okay. he actually uh, we we actually did did uh, see that. I don't remember it, but I I have it in my yeah. notes. So I'm not yeah I'm not sure which way that went, but she was definitely in the basement when she was talking to him because I remember her looking at the poster. right. And Lauren pulls up right behind him, and I tell you what, I was so effing tense because yeah. I'm like, is this show going to have me witness the murder of Tom Hanks' son? <laughs> Like, like right in front, like as soon as he hangs up the phone, is his head just going to explode? Yeah. Uh, is, the, is, is Lauren going to come up and Garrett him to death? Like, I mean, it's like I was on pins and needles for that scene. Yeah. Um, but the angel of death passes again. He's outside his house. He's, he's got the CB and police scanner. He's obviously eavesdropping on his daughter. Um, that surely can't lead to anything good. Nope. Uh, the neighbor accosts him and basically says, hey, I know what you're doing here. You need to move on. Lorne does one of his classic, uh, very flowery uh, and indirect threats. The man calls him uh, a Seyarim, which is a Yiddish term for a goat-shaped demon. uh, Or a a lesser devil. Uh Um, This goes back to your uh, unstoppable evil, uh, agent of chaos, Mm -hmm. uh, angel of death. Uh, I will lay it out there. We know that the Coen brothers occasionally introduce some mythological supernatural elements into their film. Do yeah. you think they're actually going to go there with Lorne? And is that going to bother you? Is it going to bother people? Well, I it's not going to bother me because uh, the unstoppable evil force represents death. I mean, that's what it is. It represents death. Right. And it represents death in a way, like you could also say it represents nature. There is, right. and you know, all of the callbacks to wolves and predators. Um, it represents nature. It represents the fact that we can have the best laid plans of mice and men, but the fact of the matter is, the demise is coming. <laughs> it's very. I, I keep talking about this dark idea of the demise coming for for characters in the show, um, and for frankly us as people. But that's that's what the unstoppable evil force is like i i kind of love the idea like it's not necessarily an evil force it is just a representation of nature of and and nature represents death it's survival of the fittest it is species going on through generation after generation and while birth is part of that we see birth at the end of this episode death is an integral part of the advancement of species as well so that that broader sense, that philo- philosophical sense of death being a part of 
life is is the embodiment of that unstoppable. No, life. I love that. It's 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 not good or evil. It's you're talking universal forces. Yeah. Um, one last thing about some potential bad news for Grim Grimly fans. Uh, some people have noticed that the last names of people are very literal in this show. You got mm-hmm. Lorne Malvo. Mal base means bad. You got Molly Solver Solverson. She's solving the crime. You got the grocery king is uh, Stavros, which is Greek for cross. Uh, oh, wow. and we know that uh, uh, he's kind of seeing himself as a martyr here, and uh, you know being persecuted by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spray Tan's last name—I did not know this or I missed it—but his last name is actually Chump, like Chump <laughs> with an H. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Gus, his last name is Grimly. Grim, right. uh, obviously, uh, connotation of uh, darkness and death. Uh, if, if these last, this last name theory holds up, then, uh, he's, uh, looking like he's got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel here. Yeah. And you also got Lester Nygaard who, um, is a guard for some, for himself, at least I don't try I'm trying to stretch this a little bit, probably. <laughs> Maybe it's, he's more, he represents the Bill Nye force of the universe. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's a he's Nye guard. He's ready to debate evolution with people. <laughs> um are you got anything else you want to talk about or do we want to get to feedback and then get out of here uh i just wanted to check with you real quick so they did do a close-up of all of lauren's tapes i only saw lester's name on there did you see any other names no yeah, i blurred did out yeah um and it's kind of same same as we had before where he had all these uh tapes uh, someone on Someone mentioned that they were all masculine names. There was no female names. Huh. Um, I can't confirm or deny that, but I have no reason to believe that that's a lie. So, and also, did you get, uh, because I, I did not get this, and I was reading the thread that Lauren was actually listening to some of those tapes when he hit the deer in the first episode. Oh, wow. I did not know that. God, I got to go yeah, back, listen- back and watch the He first was listening one, to I? someone talking about his wife, and he, this, someone was like begging for their life. I, I need to go back and rewatch that, too. This, wow. this show's got, le- like I said, this is the thing. I feel like we've talked for an hour already, which kind of yeah. blows my mind. It's targeting 40 minutes. I feel like I could talk about this show for another week and <laughs> still not have everything figured out. And it's, it's, you know, we had a lot, you know, it's been a good year for stuff like that. We had the uh, True Detective that was another very Onion-esque layer show, and now we got uh-huh. this. Uh, blessed with a lot of good television. Uh, before we get the feedback, I want to do a little bit of pimping. Uh, you know, we are baldmove.com, a part of the Bald Move Network. We talk a lot of good television, uh, but it's not just that. Uh, Eric, for example, is the co-host of Personal Arrogance. Uh, they have, what, we got like 190 episodes Mm-hmm. worth of beer and board game and video games and pop culture and star wars uh s- sperm whales it's <laughs> it's a, a a a a modern nerd variety show uh yep. with two of my best friends and i cannot recommend it uh heartily enough if if you've liked eric's insights and wit here you should definitely check out personal arrogance as well as all of our other affiliates uh, the cause show and of course up yours downstairs uh you know, if you want to support Bald Move, there's a lot of ways to do so. You can go to baldmove.com and click our support button. Um, but I just want to give a special shout out to our Subbable page. If you go to subbable.com, S-U-B-B-A-B-L-E.com slash baldmove, it's a voluntary subscription site that helps us produce podcasts. You can uh, register for free, but you can also send us money um a little bit or a lot and you can do it one time or you can do it on a monthly basis and the really cool thing is every dollar you spend you get to also save as a reward buck and you can uh, save those up and redeem them for valuable uh backer rewards subable rewards and there's all kinds of stuff on that check it out at subable.com slash bald move let's talk a little bit about feedback uh jake from tallahassee Florida said he's listening to the Eating the Blame review, and there's a pretty hearty discussion about the believability of Malvo. says, I think you may have touched on it before, Eric, but Malvo seems to be more of a representation of chaos, not an actual person. When he vanished in Lester's basement, I think the show was establishing him as an almost supernatural being, not bound by any human rules, laws, uh, or, uh, or laws for that matter. Since his first vanishing act, I've bought his seemingly omniscient actions and planning. You know... That is a really good point that, and that's another kind of perk in his like supernatural or spooky chaos agent or angel of death quality. There was no way out of that basement. 
No, so that is, I mean, I, and I didn't think about that until reading his email. Right. Um, I, I'm saying, and you know, with his demon name now, uh, I, uh, I'm very intrigued about this theory that he might, there, there, there's more to him. Um, it'd be interesting to see where they go with that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think anybody who has, I think anybody who hasn't seen No Country for Old Men, like Anton Chigurh is the embodiment, the, the the greatest embodiment, in my opinion, of the Coen Brothers' unstoppable evil force. You can watch other movies, Barton Fink, uh, Raising Arizona. Um, well, see, to, Raising to Arizona, extent. I think, yeah. Raising Arizona, I think, is a better Lorne parallel because mm-hmm. Anton Anton Sugar, yes, he was unstoppable, and yes, he was evil, but he was also yeah. mortal. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, he, he was also undone by something very innocuous, like a, a car crash. And he was suddenly, this unstoppable killing force was at the mercy of two small boys where he was bartering for their t-shirt. Right. Um, but he's not, he's not completely unstoppable. I mean, he, he's not completely undone by that. It just shows his mortality. It shows that he can bleed. But he, th- yes. that's the last time we ever see him in the movie, is him walking right. away from that crash. So, Right, but the, the demonic... The demonic- the demonic biker of raising Arizona where he's like riding up ladders and into children's bedrooms and he's yeah. supernaturally sniffing at people. I mean, I feel like the Lorne is almost closer to that where it's, it is, he's like a, a, some kind of physical manifestation of justice or some kind of equalizing force in the universe. Um, yeah. and again, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they went a little metaphysical. Um, oh no, not at all. That's you know, Coen Brothers all the way to go metaphysical. That's fine yeah, with me. I feel the same way. Uh, I think some people are going to be bothered, and I'm looking forward to feedback on that. Uh, Tyler S uh, has a uh, he's our senior Mormon correspondent. He says false doctrine. I'd like to state for the bald move record that caffeine is not prohibited by the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, aka Mormons. Many members believe caffeine is the main reason we don't drink tea or coffee, and they avoid it for that reason. While others simply avoid it because it's unhealthy. The rest of us guzzle Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, and Mountain Dew like there's no tomorrow. My friends and I may not stay up all night getting drunk and having sex, but you can be damn sure we'll stay up all night playing Halo and drinking Code Red. I wish y'all would get your get your acts together because yeah. I've got some Mormon friends and it's like, so what if it's if it's not an official doc? Because obviously caffeine can't be mentioned in the Bible or the Mormon Bible. Do right. they mention like tea and coffee particularly? And if so, I don't. I don't know. Like I said, the, the I, you know, everybody's religions their own business. But I think it's funny that you would not drink tea or coffee, but you would drink <laughs> diet coke, for example. Like that's that's basically yeah. tea or coffee with about a bazillion other nasty chemicals <laughs> in it. <laughs> Carbonate your coffee and throw some, you know, caramel flavor, caramel coloring number four. And some carbonic acids and some other stuff, and you got and some aspartame, and and you've got your diet coke there. Not to mention Aaron here. Not to mention Aaron. Uh, what was Jesus' first miracle? Turning water into code red, I believe. Water into coke. Yeah, water into wine, man. Like that was his first thing. He was at a wedding. He's like, let's party. We ran out of wine. We need to keep this party going. Let's turn some water into some wine. For me. That is Jesus' stamp of endorsement on beer. So if you can't drink Coke Red, beer is delicious and also uh, totally fine with Jesus from my interpretation. Yeah, that's a, I think Code Red was the second miracle, and he also yeah. accidentally created a first net party. <laughs> so exactly. uh, um, moving on to Mary J says, I'm writing because I think a lot of people missed what has happened and why Lester is not seeking medical attention for his hand, uh, although he better do it soon. Um, wait a second. Let me see here. There was a reason I put it on here because, um, oh, I just want to give her a shout out because she correctly predicted all the symptoms that he had. Mm. Uh, she said, she mentioned, said in a very short time, the wound will cause a fever. He may become delirious. He could easily become septic. As we know, Lester isn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but he better figure out something quick right after he solves his problem with the Fargo hitmen. Uh, yeah. Very, very strong take. Almost, almost an unstoppable unstoppable supernatural force or prediction there i think i'm a little weary of that uh, and benji had a question about the screws reinforcing the door and i think we answered that adequately so that's all the feedback we got if you'd like to send us more you can do so at fargo at baldmove.com you can also follow our show threads on baldmove dot or sorry facebook.com slash baldmove and you can tweet at jim uh tell him uh hope he comes out off his uh amphetamine high actually don't do that 
because I don't I don't want him to get like a hundred tweets and just be buzzing all night. And I need him healthy so he can get back to fucking work. Uh, but yeah, you can tweet at him when he gets healthy on Twitter at Bald Move. Eric, thanks for helping us out, buddy. It's been a great cast. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. And again, please, guys, check out their personal arrogance uh, podcast. It is hilarious, and it is uh, a weekly weekly delight for me. I'm glad that you got the. Uh, I've been entertaining with uh, your Rocky Mountain correspondent Levi, but yeah. I'm super glad to hear that Jesse's back in the saddle this week. Jesse's back. What, we should what, have the new episode up as soon as Fargo is posted. So if you're listening to this, we got our new episode up. With Jesse, it is a bar. Give us burner. a preview. What are you talking about? Uh, this week we are talking more Star Wars news. We're also going to talk about how to save Nintendo at E3 this year, um, along with some science news and also a little bit of board game news uh, mixed in with some history, some sci-fi, some pop culture. That's basically it, man. We're just nerds, and we love everything that is nerdy, and uh, that's what I'm, our podcast is about. I'm super excited to hear your Nintendo take because as one of the few people that's actually bought into Nintendo's next generation, I feel like I'm out on a very lonely but enjoyable island. We save Nintendo this week. I'm not I'm, in no uncertain terms. We save it. All right. I can't wait. Eric, thank you once again. And uh, you can find all that stuff on baldmove.com. Thanks again. We will see you on next Thursday. And, uh, of course, uh, Fargo comes back Tuesday. Uh, stay tuned for all of our Fargo coverage to come. And until then, I'm Aaron, and... And I'm Eric. And we will talk to you later.